Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to the Coffee Clash. This is Marianne Russo. Thank you for joining us. Tonight our show is Expectations, Who Are They For? And we're going to speak today about goal setting and expectations for your special needs child. Uh, We're taking a look at what motivates you in your goal setting and how to more effectively choose what is best for your child and, and ultimately your family. My guest tonight is our favorite psychologist, Dr. Lynn Kenny. Dr. Kenny is the author of The Family Coach Method, Raising Good, Kind, Ethical Kids. You can get that. Um, Lynn will tell you about that um, and listen to it right off your iPod. And she is also the host of Dr. Lynn Ways In. She is just a treasure trove of information. And um, as I said, we're going to be discussing how parents can make decisions. And, you know, my father once said to me, expect nothing and you will never be disappointed. And um, I was a teenager at the time, and that seemed really harsh and, you know, really unrealistic. But, you know, after I've raised two special needs kids of my own, I think I get, you know, what he was trying to tell me. And um, we're going to discuss that. So, Lynn, thank you for joining me. Oh, I'm so happy to talk with you again. It's my pleasure. It's been too long. Um, You know, I want to talk about the fact that, you know, of course we need to have expectations and goals. But I think the message my father was trying to convey was that we need to make sure that goals are challenging yet attainable so that you don't feel any disappointment. So, you know, let's talk about what drives parents in their goal setting and their expectations on several issues, um, you know, behaviors, academics, social interactions, um, you know, so that we can help them better collaborate and succeed. So let's start off with the title, Expectations. Who are they for? Really? Oh, my golly. Well, you know, I'm sitting here as we're talking, drawing a Venn diagram on a piece of paper because there's so many people in the community that um, goal setting is related to. You know, you've got the family component and all the individuals in that. You've got the school. You've got the friends. You've got, you know, any social or athletic activities. You've got all your treatment providers. Um, So I think that... You know, you had said at the top of the show you've got different domains, right? There are at least 18 domains in which you can set goals, behavior, academics, family life, um, you know, development. That, that's a lot of different domains. And then you've got all the people um, or entities that are involved. So I think that first we have to look at the landscape, Marianne. You know, what is the landscape on which goals are going to be um, set and then we've got to say, well, how come we're doing this? How come, you know, how come we're setting goals and um, having certain expectations of our children? What are all the drivers for that? Right. And, you know, I think we've all been there as special needs parents. And, you know, embarrassment plays a role, um, you know, which I'd like to discuss with you on different levels. Um, you know, Parents are oftentimes embarrassed by the behavior, and I think that um, that sometimes drives them um, in their goal setting for their children, for their expectations of their children. And I think oftentimes it also prompts them to feel they have to explain their child's behavior with divulging some information. What is your feeling on that? 
Oh, my golly. three All three super important topics, right? So I think that having expectations of your children behaviorally, developmentally, socially, academically is different than the goal setting. I think the goal setting is the methodology or the plan by which you try to um, help your children um, meet the expected behaviors, right? And then the drivers, so I actually just on a piece of paper drew a capital E, small b, then an arrow, then I wrote um, um, goals, and then I made another arrow, and I wrote drivers at the end because they're all three different topics, right? And I think that starting, interestingly, with the driver is the most relevant and important part because any of us who have special needs children have faced the shame and humiliation and embarrassment when other people were hyperjudgmental, critical, didn't understand, blamed us, Marianne, right? Um, thought that the child was completely responsible for their behavior when we know that it, it was, you know, probably brain-based and, and driven possibly by biology or environmental circumstances. So I think that really, to me, the most important thing to look at is what are the drivers, your internal drivers, uh, the social you know, the, the external drivers, which are the social ones. And then if we could tackle, Marianne, our feelings of shame and embarrassment and humili- humiliation, I think that we would get much more effective at establishing more reasonable expectations and better. we'd be doing better goal setting. Absolutely. Um, you know, and I think that oftentimes... Um, if a child is um, having some difficulty in a certain situation and may not be uh, behaving appropriately, that parents feel that they need to explain the child's behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and sometimes it's needed, um, you know, so that people can have compassion for the child. But sometimes it's really an invasion, especially as they're older. So how can a parent, um, you know, walk that fine line? Well, I think that, Checking your motivation for the disclosure is an important thing. So number one is when your little when your little scoochemojos with special needs are young, like under four or five, you are in a lot of ways an extension of them. So if they've got anxiety or Tourette's or bipolar or depression or you know autism, whatever their um, biological state is, you you get used to really revealing it because you're doing academic planning, you're doing IEPs, you're doing testing, and it kind of flows off the tip of your tongue as though the diagnosis is really sometimes defining your child. But as they get older, I really think that we need to not be ashamed at all of the biological status, but respect the child's right to disclose that because their status is going to live with them um, you know, into their adulthood. So as an example, I was at a sporting event yesterday and one of the kids has Tourette's. Um, and I noticed that I knew the child had Tourette's and the mother was sitting uh, like two people away from me. And the child was starting to move and tick because it was an anxious situation. And I was breathing really deeply, hoping that the mother wouldn't feel like at age, let's say this kid was 15, now I'm pretending a little bit so we don't know who the child is, um, I was hoping that the mother wouldn't feel like she had to lean over to the group and say, oh, my my child has Tourette's and now she's starting to move and that means she's anxious, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I was hoping that we could just let the child work through um, her movements and her anxiety and we wouldn't have to disclose it, not because you're ashamed, but because by the time a child is in middle school and, and high school, 
their biological and mental health and developmental status is their own. It's no longer just ours. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, also what we have to understand is oftentimes children outgrow um, tics, children outgrow behaviors. And, um, you know, sometimes the past should be in the past. So, you know, everyone does need to be careful about what information they get out. But And, and on the other hand, um, if they feel that for any reason the child is being misunderstood or, um, you know, in private needs that explanation, you know, I think sometimes that is in order to... Um, you know, in, in a, let's just say we have a family where we have some children who are neurotypical and we have some children that have special needs. How does a parent, I know I dealt with this, how does a parent set different expectations, goals, or limitations um, for a child with special needs versus the other children? When the other children may feel, you know, why can he or she do that? Mm-hmm. Well, the, the nice the, the thing about this is that whether your child's neurotypical or neuroatypical, we have to individualize how we parent every child no matter what. And so some degree, this is such a mixed bag of a conversation because we don't want to make people think that they've got to send things underground. That's not what we're saying. I think what we're saying is let's just be mindful of the motivation, let's be mindful of the conversation, and let's make sure that it's purposeful, right? So talking with your children openly about, listen, all of you are different, and all of you have different needs, and all of you have different skill sets. And because of that, mommy and daddy or auntie and uncle have different expectations regarding your behavior. Um, I think that, you know, saying that out loud, as an example, if you're going to go out to dinner and you've got a um, a child with sensory issues and they're not going to be able to eat what everybody else is eating and they're going to want their food pureed or something like that, then you've got to tell everybody else, you know, you guys just have to come to the plate and relax and understand that your brother has special needs and we're going to meet those needs just like right now we're going to meet some of your needs. Um, I think that just having that kind of, I guess, coming back to talking about the landscape, that, you know, this is how it is. Pardon me? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And being and, you know, willing I think to talk it also about it. Teaches you know, compassion. Right. Yes. And and you know it's interesting because I was just with like a bunch of clinicians in a different state talking about brain based interventions, and I asked all these very experienced people, "What did you learn most in your like thirty year career?" And over and over again, people said to be non judgmental. Everybody's really trying to do their best. Let's just be loving. Let's be non judgmental. Um, even though we're having a conversation about goal setting and behavioral expectations, it kind of comes down to being mindful and centered and trying to be calm and just, you know, not being judgmental, not being hard on yourself and not being hard on others. Right. And I think another key to really um, being successful in being clear to your child. And, you know, I I often say, you know, the eyes are the window to the world. Um, You know, when your child looks in your eyes, let them see compassion and not disappointment. And I know that that's really hard for a lot of special needs parents because they want their children to do well and they want their children to, you know, meet a lot of the, the milestones. And they can, but I think it's really important that the timing is right, um, that the that the tempo is right, and that they really are realistic and attainable. And I think that parents often feel that they need to really challenge the child in order for them to meet goals. And I think there's a balance. So how do you feel about setting 
challenging goals that are yet attainable, and what happens if you set the bar too high? All right, great question. So let's start with what's what is the you know let's start with what's the developmental domain that we're trying to work in, and what are the child's current skill sets, and then let's try to be a little bit data based um, instead of um, maybe shame based in establishing what the behavioral expectation is. So you know our our behaviors a lot of them are rather sequential, right? Like your behaviors are scaffolded. When you can do step A, then you can do step B, then you can do step C, then you can do step step D. So what I think we want to do is, you know, um, kind of separate out the different components of the skill set, identify, well, what is the next thing I'd like my child to do, and then how am I going to get there? So the goal setting is how am I going to help them reach that next expected behavior? The challenge is, I think, two things go wrong. One is sometimes we're not discreet enough in what the expected behavior is, so we expect them to do too much at one time. Um, like like there was just a, a news report about a, um, a special airplane training where children with autism can go. Have you seen this, Marianne? Where they can go and actually go through the whole step-by-step process of getting on an airplane so that they don't freak out because, of course, an airplane is so sensory overstimulating and claustrophobic um, many of the kids have lots of symptoms. And what I was thinking was getting on a plane is a huge task. So you got to really just separate out the different components and then say, what's the goal, what's the next step that I need to facilitate in my child? And I think that what happens for many of um, those of us who parent special needs children is because their behavior often is variable, like one day they can do it and the next day they can't, sometimes we get sometimes punitive and sometimes we feel guilty because we're not pushing them today when we knew that they could do it yesterday. So it becomes this whole mass of confusion. Like, should I really be expecting my kid to do this today? Under these circumstances, can they do it today? Is today just a day where I should just lay off and relax? Am I not being tough enough? Am I being too hard? Um, So calling in other trusted people in order to help you with those decisions regarding your expected behaviors in this moment, I think is a really fruitful, useful thing to do. Absolutely. You know, and and because you said they are so variable, and, you know, their disorders wax and wane. And with the waxing and waning, we have to adjust. Teachers have to adjust. Family members and friends need to adjust. Um, You know, and I think that's a lot of the difficulty. But that's where also I think that... um, we need to really break this down into steps for these kids as far as mastery goes. And we need to be very, very clear on what expectations and goals and limits are. So, um, you know, how can how can a parent do that when we're dealing with such a variable child as far as, um, you know, let's just say that there's a child with mental illness and they're having a medication change or they're really having an exacerbation of their symptoms. Or just a bad day. Um, you know, how, you know? <laughs> how can we deal, or a bad day, um, you know, how do parents let the child know that that's okay? I think that I think I think that this is where the collaboration and the planning ahead of time is really helpful and useful because like as an example if you draw anger mountain or anxiety mountain or you know whatever your little methodology is and you help the child to have some observing ego regarding the fact that let's use moodiness as an example that they're moody and that you know, on a scale from 1 to 10, maybe some people hover 1 to 3, other people hover 3 to 5, but your moody child goes from 
they go all the way through 1 to 10 and maybe several times during the day. So helping them, one, see it, maybe color code it, draw it, write it out before the moodiness escalates and and helping them then say to, saying to them, I really want to be your best helper. I know sometimes you have bad or uncomfortable moments when it doesn't feel good to be in your skin. And that makes you angry or anxious or frustrated or agitated. I really want to be your helper in recognizing that and then choosing what strategies are going to calm you down. So I think that the collaboration helps, the self-recognition helps, the even the self-monitoring, you know, where you're rating things during during the day, seeing where you're at. And then when the child is, the problem with the moody child is that they push our buttons so badly that we end up getting punitive and angry. We think that Absolutely. they are responsible Absolutely. for this behavior and that it's willful behavior. It's really not willful generally. Most people don't want to be moody, obnoxious, um, you know what I mean? They don't provocative, <laughs> angry. Most people don't want Absol- to be that. Absolutely. The kid does not <laughs> want to be like that. You know, I mean, as hard as it is to parent a child like that, we have to right. really try to turn it around and think how hard it's got to be to be that to out be of that control. Person. And right. like you said, to be that uncomfortable in your own skin. Right. Yeah, so and just you know, I don't want to over-elaborate this, Marianne, but first we do the identification, right? Really, 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 we've got to help them self-monitor, then we agree to monitor with them, and then we have some sort of decision regarding the self-soothing strategies. Now, the only other thing I wanted to add that to Marianne is that sometimes when you're goal-setting around your behavioral expectations and you're collaborating, the kid doesn't comply at the moment. That's just, I think, the time to make sure that they're safe and you're safe, and then circle back when things are calm again and try to redo that that collaboration process. Let's identify it. Let's make decisions together about it, and let's let, then let's implement our interventions. Because you know you can and make a kid escalate so. to the hospital, right? Oh, absolutely. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like if we parents are dealing with a moody kid or a depressed kid or a bipolar kid, and we escalate with them, it can become quite a crisis. So. I really like this process of being not judgmental and loving and observing and then saying, as long as we're all safe right now, let's circle back regarding the skill sets later. And I think that parents get so much when they take that time to listen and collaborate because, you know, there's the old mindset that um, some parents have, and I don't think most special needs parents still have this anymore, but that, you know, I'm the parent and I will set the guidelines and I will make the rules. And it's really so counterproductive because when you take the time to collaborate and when you listen to really what the obstacles are or when you see that they are just baffled by themselves by what their obstacles are, that's usually when you start to find the answers because sometimes when we assume that we know what's blocking these kids, we get it wrong and we don't help them. So. You know, that goes back to what I was asking you before about the mastery and the, the taking everything at one step at a time because really setting the bar too high is it, it's just so difficult for these kids. I mean, let's face it, they're beaten down as it is, mm-hmm. um, you know, by their organic um, issues. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, and about abandoning um, expectations. I know that whenever I say that, parents really get, you know, really put off by it. But, you know, I've lived the life. And I think that sometimes we do need to abandon expectations and take that time for teaching calm and, and use that time for, for, for other giving them other tools. Um, you know, how do you feel about really just giving kids a breather when they need it? Well, you know, 
I number one, I think that kids and parents need a breather. You know, we haven't talked about uh, that much about how hard this is on the parent. When your kid is suffering, you feel so raw and you're hurting so badly. And so I think that everybody needs a breather sometimes. And maybe they're maybe the parents are <clears throat> nervous about the word abandon. I just would say let's revise. You know, let's revise our expectations in this moment. Let's right. uh, let's let's maybe just. God, let's just kind of take this time to be connected. Like I've been encouraging a lot of parents with whom I work lately with teenagers, just hang with them. Don't even talk. Just be in the same room with them. Let them do what they're doing. Right. You do what you're doing. I mean, but you are all not on your computer and you're not watching television. You're just sitting. You're just being there. I just think that we've lost a lot of that. So one, taking a breather. Two, backing down from always being so driven regarding our goals. And three, being present with our children, uh, just in a mindful way, I really believe goes a long way. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, I think parents really are understanding this and they are implementing it in their homes. I think where um, they're roading, coming into roadblocks is when they have to have other people collaborate now with them, um, you know, such as teachers, um, such as, you know, the, 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 the soccer coach or other, you know, extended family members. Um, you know, so how, if you're, if you're setting expectations for your child based on what you feel is best for your child and you're getting, um, you know, you're getting stressed from other outside influences, you know, how does a person deal with that? How do they get comfortable within their own skin to really, uh, you know, advocate? Hmm. Well, Gal, this, I mean, this is a way deeper and huger conversation than I knew we were going to have. I mean, this is a deep conversation because if you've got collateral support, let's say you've got uh, coaching, and let's say your kid's got some sort of developmental uniqueness, and, and in some ways you have to choose a coach who will not be you, who will have other expectations and maybe push your child or teach your child in other ways because I think those collateral supports beyond you are really important for the kids. Sometimes they stretch the kids in ways that you didn't imagine, right? But we don't want people to be doing harm. So I think it's twofold. I think it, one is we don't want to be a parent who's just a wet blanket and thinks we have to cover our child to protect them from the whole world all the time. Exactly. And on the other hand, we have to choose collateral supports that will push them but uh, will not harm them. And I think coaching is a really good example of that, you know. Right. And I think, you know, it's really important for our kids to be exposed to different types of personalities and different types of approaches because in real life that's how it's going to be. It's not just going to be how you parent it. Um, You know, so it is really, you know, important, but it also is important that, you don't change your beliefs because, say, your mother-in-law, um, you know, feels right. that your child should be sitting at the table with the napkin on their lap. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> you know. Um, um, I think that deciding is this really important. I'm pausing because on Pinterest there was this really good sentence. Is it was something like, "Is it necessary?" Um, and is it important? And I think that. Parents of special needs kids are so on all the time. You're working, you're attending, you're trying to make sure that your child's doing well. You're maybe trying, you know, in a social situation not to get embarrassed or humiliated or trying to help the child uh, participate in a social way when they've had trouble doing so before. 
And I think I think that sometimes we need to back down a little bit, take a breather, maybe still be there, but but try to decide is this really necessary and important? Because if it's not necessary and important, then why don't I just back down and see what happens? Right, and I think that also that it's important when we're, we're thinking about academics, um, you know, that you could have an extremely bright child, um, but that child may not be able to handle the sensory um, environment of being in a class with, you know, 30 kids. Um, you know, that child may not be able to, um, you know, they, they, uh, go at the slower pace that maybe being in a small class, a large class. Um, so, you know, I think that sometimes even if your child is quali- is capable of being in a you know advanced class a high honors class that sometimes you need to think out of the box yeah, and put them into a different type of academic class you know such as um you know like here we have boces where you know your child can go and do film they can do art they can do so many things you know i think that sometimes um we can't limit our children just because of what we think is really being offered to them by the mainstream schools well, you just went on a tributary that's so fascinating because if your child's atypical and gifted, sometimes the giftedness is your security blanket. You know you know what I mean? Right. You're able to be like, oh, well, they're gifted, they're talented, they're in high honors, so that makes me feel comfortable that they're unique and atypical. And you're absolutely right because there are times when the kids – it's not good for them to be in the high honors. They don't need to be in the high honors. They can go back to the regular classroom. They can do arts, like you said. They can do film. They can do chess. They can do all sorts of other things. So that brings us back to that core, the core piece of this conversation is staying close to really what the kids' individual needs are and trying not to be so influenced by your own motivators or drivers and the social motivators and drivers and really just trying to be present enough to say, what would really be suitable for for my child right now under these circumstances? Right, exactly. And, you know, I just wanted to, you know, end up, I just wanted to give you a little time. I know that your book is fantastic. Um, And it really does tie in, in my opinion, um, to a lot of this. Because I think that when you parent, especially your special needs child, with the respect and the compassion of understanding why you have expectations or goals um, and you allow them to achieve them and to really get that sense of accomplishment, um, that that is going to carry on into making them, you know, the well-adjusted and good kid that you're looking for. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Because, you know, good, kind, ethical kids, you know, that starts from home. So how does setting expectations and setting um, goals and dealing with disappointments help to raise a kind, ethical kid? Wow. Well, you know, what you remind me of um, the most is that I think that we have to unjudgmentally and unconditionally really love our children. And the more we listen and are present with them, I don't mean taking away, I don't mean not having boundaries, I don't mean not having consequences, but the more we can be present with them and understand who their unique self is, the easier we can guide them to be whoever they're going to be. 
Um, and we have another book. You know, the Family Coach Method is really great, especially for parents of three- to eight-year-old kids who feel like, I don't know, my house is a little disorganized or I'm not really sure how to set routines. And um, it's it's a thoughtful book and, a, and a, it's an interactive book. But Wendy Young and Ava Parnass and I have been working for almost two years on our next book, which is called Time In, Not Time Out. And you're going to like it, Marianne, because it's actually oh, the I love words. It, right? It's like the words that you would say to your child under these circumstances in order to enhance their social-emotional development. And then it's the actions you could take in order to enhance their sensory motor experience. So we tried to tie together. If you're anxious, that's a motor, an internal experience, and it's an emotional experience. So that's why we've been we've been really working on the details of this book so that the parents, you know, at least in the world that I hang out, I even experienced, God, I'm not sure what to quite say to my child right now. And so we really, on 12 situations, try to generate what you can actually say and what you can actually do. So we're not just saying, do it differently. Here are some big beginning seeds of words and actions. Well, you'll have both three of you will have to come on because that is so important. (laughs) I mean, the, the the words of, you know, I call it the language of positives. Yes, and exactly. it seems like it's such a simple thing to do it's not. to take a negative comment and turn it into a positive. But when you start doing it, it becomes right. knee-jerk, and it makes right. such a difference. Like, you know, you could say to your child, um, if you don't clean your room, you're not right. going to the movies. Mm-hmm. Or you could say to your child, wow, um, mm-hmm. you know, I know you want to get to the movies this weekend. Do you want me to help you pick up your room? Mm-hmm. It's the same thing mm-hmm. <laughs> said completely differently, mm-hmm. but gives you your outcome. So um, you know, I, I think it's just it's so important because the, the time out just doesn't work. No, it does. And where I'm leaving us, and I know we've only got like two minutes left, but what I've learned from you today, listening, is that we have to we have to build a bank of the positives. If you have a special needs child, and you get worn out. Sometimes you start to over-focus on the negative, and then that pulls everybody down. But if we can remember, you know, whatever it is, you know, my child was able to eat the food yesterday, or my child was able to stay emotionally calm last night through dinner, or my child was able to sleep through the night last night, you know, really start to build up a piggy bank of the positives so that you can stay fresh enough that you're continuing to build on that. Right. And I think it's also, I did want to end off um, talking about uh, when a child does not, meet their expectation, mm-hmm. whether an expectation set by themselves, set by you, or set by somebody else. Um, and I think it's really important, um, and this is really what I would like you to speak to um, as we end, in letting children know that that's life, mm-hmm. that goals aren't often achieved with the snap of a finger or the way that we had planned. So what words would you use for a child, or how would you deal with a child or a teen that's feeling really disappointed in their inability to meet goals that are expected of them? Well, the sentence I would actually say is, um, you know, we learned something here. We learned that uh, that the goal didn't fit you, that the goal didn't fit mommy, that the goal didn't fit you, and so now we've got to change the goal. It was it was actually the goal that was the challenge. It wasn't you or your behavior or who you are. You're perfect in your wonderful, unique self. We just didn't choose the right goal. So let's go. go I love hunting. it. I love it. <laughs> Absolutely. And you know, you also get to pick. You know, they get to see from the experience what worked and what didn't work. And you know, that's why there's always a plan B, <laughs> right? Yeah, and uh, yeah, I completely agree. 
It's very refreshing well, and wonderful to talk with you. I really, it's, it's what a wonderful, wonderful call. I'm I'm so glad you can come back on because I think that you know parents really have they struggle with this and it's so unnecessary. So I thank you for coming on and uh, time in, not out. Is that the title? Yep, time in, uh, not time in, not time out. I hope we, I hope we have it done by winter. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I can't wait to read it. So Dr. Kenny, thank you for joining us. Always a pleasure. All right, you take care, Marianne. Take care. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to um, acknowledge our new sponsors. We have Text Help, which is fabulous to kids that are struggling with dyslexia and learning disabilities. And once again, fabulous, Mayor Johnson is going to be sponsoring the show. So go to our website. You can click on their links and get to them. And I also have a very interesting show coming up because often we talk about, we see in the media, um, the abuse, the children with special needs, mental illness being abused by their parents. What we don't hear and what parents are embarrassed to talk about, they're afraid to talk about the fear of losing their children, is when the opposite is happening. When a child with autism or mental illness um, is raging, is dysregulated, and is physically abusing a parent. And uh, we're going to be bringing on um, a, an expert in the field and a parent who's living this right now. And um, I'm doing this just to really get this out in the open because I know a lot of parents are dealing with this and they don't know where to turn and um, hopefully we'll help you emotionally and with whatever other needs you're going to have. So join us. Uh, you can reach us at our website, www.thecoffeeclatch.com. And as we end each show, you are your child's best advocate. If not you, then who? Become an informed, educated parent. Coming up this Sunday, Dr. Dimitri Papalos, um, Alyssa Bronstein, they are the directors of the Juvenile Bipolar Foundation. We've had them on several times before discussing their new phenotype for child bipolar, which is just, it makes so much sense. I hope you've listened to the interviews. They have um, started now the ketamine study, uh, which has been very, very helpful for a lot of children that really parents had lost hope of ever helping. And they're going to be coming on with one of the parents of the children who has been involved in the study, and they're going to talk about the progress that the child has made. So join us this Sunday, 9 p.m. Thank you. Have a great week, everyone. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at Chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's Chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.